This episode is sponsored by Penguin Teen and the Righteous by Renee Idea. In this latest installment of the New York Times bestselling series that began with the beautiful, Pippa journeys to the treacherous and beguiling world of the Fae in search of answers only to fall in love. The Righteous is the can't-miss lead into what will be a much-anticipated finale of a can't-miss quartet. It's true. Vampires are back and they're more seductive than ever, according to Bustle. That is The Righteous by Renee Adia. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Asfetti and Tirza Price. We are recording on December 2nd, 2021, and hello, Erica. I cannot believe it's December already. Can you? No, I feel like I need a refund or something. I always say that, but I really genuinely mean, I like, I need to speak to someone about it. <laughs> I don't accept it as reality. It's fine. <laughs> I completely hear you. I I was walking my dog this morning and I live in a small town. So like people are very chatty and it's like, you know, morning. So there's a lot of people out and about and I'm walking in the park that like borders this really nice lake we have in our Mm. town and there's this woman out and she's just like look at this gorgeous weather you know because it's really nice here in Iowa (laughs) this week and I was like I know it's so great and she's like can you imagine having this weather in in November and I was like I know right and I'm like Mm -hmm. walking my dog along because I don't know this woman and I'm just like being nice and I'm working and then she turns around and she yells at me actually it's December and I was like yeah right as I'm crossing the street with my dog who is like what's happening why is people why are people yelling at us so anyhow that is my yelling to you about it's just that's so funny she couldn't believe it either she went home and she had to call someone did you know it's actually December that is wonderful that was pretty funny that is really funny that's great (laughs) it was actually December much to my disbelief because I was also like oh yeah you're right yeah and her disbelief she's gonna be thinking about that for the rest of the day right (laughs) I know I am yeah as will I and how I don't have any pets so I will not have any of these wonderful little quirky and counters sad <laughs> yeah it's it's quite you know funny to like see who you like you know encounter day mm-hmm. after day when you get into this regular dog walking routine mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it was pretty funny this morning yeah so. it was great i appreciated that <laughs> <laughs> anyhow yes. um so for our news item today I was reading on Instagram that mm. Adam Silvera, the author of many YA books, is announcing a prequel to They Both Die at the End. And the new prequel is going to be called The First to Die at the End, which is going to be a title that will probably trip me up multiple mm. times. So mm-hmm. props to you, Adam Silvera, for that. But it's a very <laughs> smart title. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also going to be another novel set in that same verse, uh, same universe. Um, so the first to die at the end will be out in this coming October, um, which seems so far away. But as we've established, it's already December and it will soon be 2022. And I'm sure that will come up faster than we know it. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like even saying it, it's far away, it makes it come faster or something. I don't know. Yes, we should just stop. <laughs> yeah, we should stop. Right. Yeah. But I have actually, this is going to be like my, my YA confession here. I have never read anything mm. written by Adam Silvera. Have you? I have never, ever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then we well, are we're slacking. <laughs> Clearly. Right. Clearly we are, to use a tired uh, reference, DD shame. You know that little bell in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I was late to watching that, so I still have to get that out of my system, uh, referencing it. <laughs> but anyway, no, I have yeah. not. I have not read it. Um, anything by Adam Silvera, especially they both die at the end. So I know I feel I feel very much like he's an author that you know has really 
exploded in the last recent years and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like I'm still like why haven't I read anything by him because I know he's really popular and mm-hmm. um, I also just you know have mad respect to somebody who's like going to title a book they both die at the end because yeah. I always think that it's very like you have to be a pretty good writer to pull off like mm-hmm. establishing at the very beginning of a book like both of these characters are going to die at the end mm-hmm. and then like you read the entire book and as an, as a reader you're like oh my god what's going to happen oh wait they both die right. at the end you like forget yeah. <laughs> but, yeah and then like you're still emotionally impacted so no that definitely takes a, a certain type of talent I think so, too. And yeah, just for that alone, I'm like, I need to read this book. Um, But also, will it wreck me? Probably, because they both die at the end. So yeah, like, do I need to do I need that in my life? I mean, maybe that's why we haven't read it. You know, either one of us, it's like, you know, well, you definitely have to be in the mood to read certain things. And that sounds like a bummer. I I mean, yeah, I totally, I do like reading books that I know will emotionally wreck me, but I agree that, like, sometimes if I know that a book is going to do that, I do sometimes put it off knowing that, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not in the right headspace. Yeah. So, and I've heard from so many readers about, like, how much they feel at the end of Adam Silvera's books that Mm -hmm. that is probably, like, subconsciously one of the reasons why I haven't reached for them sooner, but it's also probably a reason why I should. Right. Since you like, like, that kind of, like, getting wrecked by books and, like, yeah. Yeah. I call it a kind of a masochistic reader kind of thing i'm you know i'm of the same way you know i get into the same type of mood like you know what i need something that's gonna like give me a little emotional turbulence here yeah exactly i like that term emotional turbulence. <laughs> emotional turbulence yes <laughs> I, I funny i was um i watched this jackie Ina video on youtube are you familiar with jackie Ina? i'm not she is a um like a i guess a i hesitate to use the term influencer but she is super funny. She's been on YouTube for a while, but she like does like makeup videos and stuff like that. Sometimes okay. hair stuff, but she's really super funny. So one time she was doing a makeup tutorial and she's one of the few black ones that got popular and she's always denouncing like the racism and stuff, you know, here and there. But she's also has like done like a makeup palette with different brands and Sephora and stuff like that. Anyway. She was doing a makeup tutorial and she put on this wig. It was like this nice little curly wig or whatever. She was like, this is like my little, you know, running errand wig. And she was like, this is for like when you want to go to the, when you're at the airport, she can withstand like a little turbulence. And she like shook herself and the wig <laughs> kind of shook a little bit. So That's kind of like right. I mean, turbulence, we know what that means, but it's like, I just watched that not too long ago. So it's kind of in my mind. That's hilarious. Yes. I recommend any of her videos. She's super funny. But yes, so emotional turbulence, Adam Silvera, we need to get on that. Yes, and I feel, I do feel like our emotional turbulence is definitely going to be like a sub-theme of the books we're going to be talking about Mm, this episode. Because that's true. Yeah, there's there's definitely some emotional turbulence ahead, Mm -hmm. but I'm also really excited that you brought up this topic. Oh, yes, the topic of found family in YA. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's always, like you said, emotionally turbulent and emotionally just um, draining and stuff like that. But I think, you know, especially around the holidays, it can be even more, it can feel even more like that because it's like these images and stuff of families being together, especially hit around this time. Yeah, it can be fraught. Yes, to use a word. Should we get into our first? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Should we get into our first sponsor before we get into the books? Absolutely. All right. So our first sponsor is Inkyard Press. Adam Stillwater is in over his head. His family's pinball arcade is the only piece of his dad that Adam has left, and he's determined to save it. Whitney Mitchell doesn't know how she got here. Her boyfriend dumped her, and now she spends most of her time running social media for her dad's gaming cafes which mostly consists of trading insults with the old pinball arcade across town. But when a huge snowstorm hits, Adam and Whitney suddenly find themselves trapped together. What will happen when the storm stops? You Can Go Your Own Way is filled with music, pinball, and a love for plants. Features a enemies-to-lovers romance. Eric Smith wears many hats, including being an agent and author and former co-host of this podcast. You Can Go Your Own Way is set in Philadelphia, Eric's home, and features love for small businesses. Thanks again to Inkyard Press. 
Now, for as for um, found family, yeah, you mentioned I had um, thought about it when we were kind of like brainstorming topics. And um, I learned this really harrowing statistic about LGBTQ youth from working at a public library in Maryland in the DMV area. And I learned that basically like um, this astronomical number of queer youth experience homelessness. They're like 120% more likely to experience homelessness when only about 7% of kids in the U.S. are estimated to be queer, but yet they have such a high likelihood of experiencing homelessness with teens of color and trans teens being especially vulnerable. And one of the main contributing factors to this homelessness is family conflict, specifically um, when they come out as, you know, queer or trans and stuff like that. So that kind of led me, you know, um, as I mentioned before, it also being like the holiday season and it getting colder in a lot of places in the United States and abroad. Homelessness can be especially, you know, tough around this time. It's tough all the time, but it can be especially hard hitting now. So it kind of made me think of this topic and the prevalence of it, I think. Oh, I've been seeing more of it in YA fiction. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And the idea of, and I know this too, like, um, I'm sure other cultures do this, but as I'm black and, you know, that's what I'm privy to. Um, I know black people have a penchant for kind of making our family wherever we go. I kind of feel like it might be a remnant of enslavement, but I also know that West Africans tend to kind of do with the same thing, like where we, you know, call our elders family members, even if they're not necessarily related to us. So that's another thing I know that found family has been important in black American life. Um, in queer life, in Black queer life, and stuff like that. So I felt like it would be, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, also just being a teenager and being that young adult age is also, like, a good ripe time to maybe start questioning your Mm. relationships that you've always just taken for granted. And, like, Mm -hmm. not, like, in a negative way necessarily, but sometimes, like... When you're a kid, you know, you have your family members for the most part and you go to school or, you you know, you do whatever you do during the day and Mm -hmm. you meet other people and, like, it's just kind of taken for granted that, like, these are your people, these are who you're friends with, these are your classmates. But, like, when you become a teen and you get more independent, you are also learning that you have to be a little bit more thoughtful in cultivating the relationships Mm -hmm. around you. And, you know, there's a little bit more responsibility to those relationships. And I think it's also a really good time where a lot of teens are recognizing maybe toxic or just Mm. unhealthy relationships in their own families. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a time when people are kind of starting to learn, you know, to navigate that and whether or not they want to continue to have those relationships. And it's really hard. I think that Mm -hmm. like our culture still doesn't love talking about like family Mm. estrangement. Because, I mean, I have personally experienced the whole, like, choosing which, Mm -hmm. you know, family relationships you have. And, like, there's a big pushback from a lot of people. Oh, well, they're family. Oh, well, but you got to consider this. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, No, you don't. You have to have healthy boundaries. And, you know, obviously you don't write people off for little or insignificant reasons. But I also, like, I am always here to, like, reaffirm people drawing healthy boundaries especially sure. if it's with family because that yeah. is important yeah and the idea that is such a good point i'm glad you said that our culture is very pro-biological family and when you think about it it's so kind of silly because it's like you just so happen to be related to these people so they don't have to have access to you because of some you know kind of random biological chance happening that you you know guys share blood yeah but it, it's interesting because people will shame you. And that phrase, I've actually had conversations with friends where I'm like, that phrase kind of annoys me because I've also had, a, I think, a similar, well, I don't know what your experience was, but I've also had to draw lines with family members where I'm like, no, we're not doing this because you're toxic. Mm-hmm. So that phrase like, oh, well, that is your insert blank. That is your brother, your mother, your sister, your father, your uncle, whatever. It has this subtext to it that I think is so interesting because 
When you say that phrase, well, that is your such and such, what's not being said is that it's basically like, well, that is your family member, so you should excuse them for their bad behavior. The Mm -hmm. you should excuse them for their bad behavior is implied but not said because that's the whole reason their bad behavior is the whole reason that phrase is being uttered in the first place. So I just think how I think it's interesting how that type of ideology is accepted and enforced in our culture still. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a friend who um, puts it this way, which I think is really, you know, very wise. And I had never thought about it like this, but she says that um, your family having access to you is not their right. It's their privilege because Mm -hmm. you know what? You're an awesome person. So if, if your family has lost that privilege because they don't respect you in any way, you know, they've lost that privilege. It's not their right though, to continue to have access to you as a person. And I really like that phrasing because Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would of course always love to have healthy, wonderful, fulfilling relationships with all of my family members. Yeah. That is not my reality and it's not going to change anytime soon. And it's not for lack of my trying. So Mm -hmm. this is why boundaries are important. And this is why found family is so important because I think that those friends that we make who are there for you and step up in ways that like your family hasn't like that, they're equally valid. Oh yeah, for sure. And even more so in the case of toxic (laughs) biological family members. For sure. Yes. What's your first pick for found families, Tirza? Okay. So my first pick is, it's a historical fiction. And I'm just going to give like a little bit of a content warning here because I'm going to talk about ableism. And I'm going to just briefly mention a term for disabled folks that's no longer in use. So this book is called The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. And it's a book that came out last year and I read and really loved. Um, I feel like it's one of those that like slipped under the radar of the pandemic madness. So it is about four girls living in 1927, I believe, and they're in Massachusetts. And they all have very different backgrounds, but basically they are all sent to the Massachusetts School for the Feeble-Minded. And that is like the official term for the school. Of course, we no longer use that term. But the school is basically for anybody with disabilities, be they like physical or developmental. Um, But it's also for like women who don't conform. So queer women, um, women who have gotten pregnant out of wedlock, um, even girls who are like teenagers and get in trouble for like stealing or, you know, girls who don't listen to their parents. If their parents kick up enough stink and call the police, they get sent to this school. It's wow. a really horrible place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, is, um, you know, so there's there's two sisters, Maxine and Rose, who live there. And Rose was is sent there because she has Down syndrome. Maxine is sent there because she, as a child, was caught kissing another girl. Um, there's Alice, who is a girl with a club foot. And even though she is very capable of working and, you know, her family just doesn't, they see that as a big stigma and they don't want to care for her. So they send her there. And then there's London who at 16 has become pregnant and she is a ward of the state and she gets sent to the school. And so it's about the four of them and Maxine and Rose and Alice have been there the longest and they have like their own friendship and they have their own understanding for survival. But then London gets sent to the school and she thinks what's going to happen is she's going to have her baby and then she can leave. But the thing about this school is that it's pretty much a life sentence. Like you never get out. Like, as oh, the girls wow. Grow older. Yeah, no, it's really terrible. Oh, and this is wow. all based on like real school, real life. Like this actually happened. So once you get old enough um, and you are grown, like as an adult, you're moved to like the women's portion of this school. And it's basically like, you know, a prison where they make them work and they treat them horribly. And, you know, not only do the doctors and the staff treat them horribly, but like it's uh. you know, sometimes the, the patients and the the women themselves mistreat uh-huh. each other. It's a really bad place. And yeah. once London realizes that like this is a life sentence and she and her baby are never going to leave, she decides that she's going to escape. And then she makes this relationship with Rex, Maxine and Rose and Alice. And she realizes that she can't just escape on her own. She has to help them escape too. 
And I just thought, like, the way that the four of these girls come together and really, like, their experiences bring them together and how they very quickly, you know, care for one another. And they are each other's family because they've literally, you know, been abandoned by all of their family if their family's still alive. And they decide that, like, they're going to look out for one another. Um, so this is a hard book to read. It made me really angry at times because um, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's based <laughs> on real history. Um, so the author, J. Albert Mann, um, she has written a lot of really great historical fiction about sort of little known subjects and areas of history that um, pertain to like women and women's rights and all that. So yeah, it's an excellent book, really strong found family element, mm-hmm. um, but also kind of sometimes hard to read. Yeah, that's one of those things. I'm sometimes guilty of not wanting to read certain historical things, especially like when they deal with stuff like this or slavery or anything like that, because I don't feel like being pissed off like for the <laughs> for the yeah, entirety of the read. I'm like, okay, so don't talk to me because I really feel some type of way. And it's interesting, it like it really like overtly shows you who society deemed as the other and who, you know, it's like women, people of color, people who are not neurotypical People with different yes. physicalities. Whew, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a heavy one. But it's a great book. So I highly recommend The Degenerates by G. Albert Mann. But just know, emotional turbulence ahead. Right. <laughs> Definitely continuing on the theme of emotional turbulence. I have Ray Bearer, which was pretty hyped. Uh, Ray Bearer by Jordan Fuego. It's hyped for a reason. It's really good. It immediately grabs you from the first page So like in a short amount of time, it establishes this world that you just want to know more about. This world has fairies that guide elephants to safety or to danger, depending on how they're feeling. There are like these magical genie-like creatures. And at the center of the story is a young girl named Tasai, who is just craving for human contact and affection. And it takes place in kind of like a pan West Africa. Well, it's not just West Africa. There there are different African elements from, you know, there's some from the desert and kind of some Northern African influences and stuff like that. So Teresai, she grows up being educated by these tutors who like mysteriously disappear at times to never return, as well as servants who are not allowed to touch her. Everyone basically who she comes into contact with keeps a very cold distance from her. She can see people outside of her manor windows, but no one ever seems to notice that she exists and everyone kind of looks past her. In between her lessons, she awaits the arrival of her mother, who she refers to as the lady. And she's just always really craving like human contact and touch and stuff. And sometimes in wanting to feel warmth from another being, she like there's this instance where it describes her putting her cheek close to fire because she just wants to feel like warmth from another entity and she ends up burning herself. And she just, she discovers that she can't be hurt because of this, basically a spell that has been put on the manor um, to where she and the lady, which is her mother will be protected. So one day when she's 11, she finds out that she's going to be taken to the capital to compete with other children to be chosen as part of the crown prince's council. And her mother reveals that she is actually meant to kill the prince, but to do so, she must first love him. She's attracted to the idea of being, of like finally being amongst kids her age and forming friendships and having a family finally. But she is also haunted by this wish that... So once her mother tells her that this is what she has in store for Teresai, it's kind of like it starts to become activated within her. Teresai feels this magic kind of swelling up in her as if she were physically compelled to do this task and has no control over her body in regarding to completing this task of killing the prince. So the writing is excellent, as is the pacing, and the twists are compelling, And then characters, including the antagonists, are complex. It explores themes of colonialism and its consequences, as well as the idea that whatever parents have planned for us isn't what we have to do or be. And again, as we were talking about before, of course, no matter who your family starts out as, like here in the form of 
the lady, you can choose who your family will be based on how they treat you and how loyal they are to you as a human being, how much they respect you and stuff like that. I will say I haven't seen certain content warnings for something that took place here, but it did kind of bother me. I feel like there there wasn't a lot of detail given to it, but there was, I think, like a sexual assault, but it wasn't detailed very well or very much, I should say, but it did make me feel uncomfortable. And I, I wonder, too, if people didn't talk about it as much because the genders, because of the genders involved and how they played out, if that makes sense. So heads up for that. Mm-hmm. It made me feel kind of weird. But it is, it's so good. Oh, my God. It's really good. <laughs> it's such a good story. Um, even the book has, like, these. So it it also incorporates, like, a lot of existing traditional African languages and names and words and cultural traditions and clothing and food. And then, of course, it puts this into, it puts magic into it, some traditional magic, maybe some new ones. I I don't know all of African history, so I recognize some things as being part of the world as we know it. But then I think some other things are new, but it's, it's just such an immersive story. It's really good. Awesome. So again, that is Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifwako. This is the second time that I've been on a podcast where somebody has described this book and I've been like, oh, I need to go get that. So thank you (sighs) for reminding me. (laughs) Please I will. Yeah, for sure. So my next pick is I'm going to keep on this little fantasy train we've got going. And I was really excited because this book has been on my TBR forever, but I just haven't had an excuse to bump it up the list so this was a perfect excuse um it is the good luck girls by charlotte nicole davis and i do want to give a heads up before i start talking about this book the premise is about five young women who are at the beginning of the book imprisoned in a brothel basically and it is you know forced sex work against their will there were no like graphic assault scenes on the page. There were some, you know, attempts and whatnot, but like just know that that is the premise. It kind of weighs heavily throughout the book. And it's, I would say, because of this, more of an upper YA book, but also a really excellent book. So it's set in this fantasy world that has like these very like Western, um, and like my Western, I guess I mean like Wild West um, sort of feel to it. Um, so the protagonists um, are Aster, Clementine, Violet, Mallow, and Tansy. As I said before, they live in this world where women aren't valued. There's some very severe social stratification. They have all been sold to become good luck girls, which is basically sex workers in a brothel. And two of them have been like working as sex workers against their will. And there's no ever getting out of this. Like, this is their fate. And people try to spin it as like, well, it's better than like starving to death on the outside. But these girls are so desperate to get out, like they they would take that chance. So Aster and Violet have been working for a couple of years. Clementine, Mallow, and Tansy have not yet started working. They're just basically kind of like um, servants and housekeepers at this point until Clementine comes of age and it's going to be her first night. And she sort of accidentally on purpose kills the guy who has bought an evening with her. And of course, panics because this is definitely a hangable offense. And so Aster seizes this opportunity to basically run away, but they can't leave alone. They need some help to getting out. And so that's how Mallow and Tansy and Violet end up coming with them. So once they're on the outside, though, things are a bit rough because you know, everyone's looking for them. They find out that the guy that Clementine killed was pretty important. So now everyone is really looking for them. And also in this world, good luck girls are given what are called favors. And they're basically like flower tattoos that they put on your neck and like lower jaw. So they're very visible and they're magic tattoos. So you can't cover them without like the ink basically burning you. So it's very difficult because when they are able to cover them, they're only able to cover them for short periods of time before suffering debilitating pain. And now they're also on the run across this like very dusty sort of desolate landscape. There are like remnants 
ghosts that are, you know, very dangerous that lurk um, in this area. But they are in search for a safe haven, and they're basically just following a rumor at this point, and they don't know if this safe haven actually exists. So what I really liked about this book is, again, you have these female characters who are really have to be tough because everybody in the world has abandoned them, like even their own families have sold them into this place. And they would all rather die than go back to where they ended up. And they are searching for safety and they have like everything, the entire world is against them. So even though, you know, they aren't all very close, they do have to work together. And that forces their bond to kind of get, you know, become really strong. I also really liked that you know, this was a book about five very different girls who don't always disagree or don't always agree, um, learning to work together and learning to have that respect for one another, even if they don't like each other at the beginning of the book. So there is a sequel called Sisters of the Reckoning. I haven't read it yet, but really enjoyed The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. That sounds really good. And although that is a topic that definitely pisses me off, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially because it's so like close to reality, it happened, yeah. you know, if you go back long enough and not even that long in some places. I, I do like Westerns, oddly. I don't know. It's just a quirk, I guess. That's like my thing. I would like to see this as a show. I feel like that would be really cool. Oh, it would be a very cool Netflix yeah. show. Yeah. Very cool. The next book I have is The Weight of the Stars by Kay Ancrum. And so in The Weight of the Stars, Ryan Bird has to take care of things at home after her parents die. And while she has this weight, she also has to contend with and adapt to going to an affluent school as a poor kid, which can be filled with, as you might guess, very awkward moments. She has this dream to explore space, but it's outweighed by the idea that she is her environment. And she's kind of hit as a result with this kind of hopelessness that she cannot make it out of her surroundings, which is she lives in a poorer part of town. She has custody of her younger brother and her nephew, and she has to take care of all these people while she's still in high school. So because of this, she acts out and doesn't go to her classes. She hangs out with other kids who are basically doing the same thing. So one day a new girl shows up whose name is Alexandria, and a teacher asks Ryan to become friends with her, basically. And Alexandria, who is this loner, basically, is not feeling it. Neither of the girls is kind of feeling the other, I should say. And this all culminates into an accident where Alexandria gets hurt. After that, Ryan feels guilty and the two girls grow a lot closer. Ryan finds out that Alex's mom volunteered for this one-way trip into space through this private company called Scout. Alex waits every night to hear back from her mother. Alex would be like on her rooftop trying to hear like radio signals you know, as messages from her mom who like went to the edge of space as people know or whatever and has not come back for years. So once Alex gets hurt, Ryan in her guilt and trying to make up for the accident, Ryan decides to help her. She starts to look out for messages from Alex's mom. And she also decides to help her get messages that her mom has been sending through the years by breaking into the scout company office to get them. So like I said, it's partially because Ryan feels guilty, but also partially because of something else like feelings and whatnot. So Ryan starts to face aspects of her life that have been kind of brimming just beneath the surface, but that she hasn't fully acknowledged, like all that her biological family requires of her, as well as her feelings for Alex. I also like, this is a bit of an aside, but I like that Ryan is at times described by friends as being delightfully butch. I thought that was a nice adjective, nice description. <laughs> so um, the writing has poetic, it's very poetic at times. It explores friendships beautifully. Ryan is a super dedicated friend, very loyal and always willing to offer a hug or support whatever is needed. Um, it shows how supportive friends can be for you and how they can make you see the best in yourself. Alex helps Ryan to see new possibilities for herself while Ryan, in turn, helps diffuse Alex's anger at her mother's absence. So, and it's kind of like told in a different way, I feel. It has just a kind of a different, kind of unique vibe to it. The story overall does, I mean. So again, that is The Weight of the Stars by Kay Ancrum. 
Awesome. I have had Kay Ancrum's new book, Darling, on my TBR for a while, but that Mm. one wasn't on my radar. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right. So my next pick is a historical novel as well. And I'm going to just like be upfront here. I have not read this one yet, but I wanted to shout it out because I think that like it fits this theme very perfectly and it just came out. So it's a book that, you know, maybe you missed under the whole holiday madness. So it's called The Reckless Kind by Carly Heath. It is set in 1904 Norway. And it is about a girl named Asta and her best friend Gunnar and his friend slash, you know, love Erland, who's male as well. So 1904 Norway, probably not the best situation to be, Mm. you know, different as Mm. a human being and not like conform to society standards. Um, So the premise of this book is that Asta and Gunnar, they like performing in local theater, which Erlen's family, I believe, owns. I've read like the first chapter, but unfortunately, I didn't finish it before reading before the recording of this podcast. So basically, what happens is Asta's expected to marry, but she's not really into that idea. And then Gunnar experiences a really devastating accident that nearly kills him and leaves him physically disabled afterwards. And he's also not recovering very quickly or very well. He needs a lot of care. And basically Asta finds out that her fiance, whom she does not want to marry, is the cause of this accident. She becomes very upset. She refuses to marry him. And Gunnar, Erland, and Asta basically retreat to the secluded cabin in the woods, kind of above their village. And they decide, like, basically forget society. Like, we're going to live, the three of us, up here. We're going to do this. Like, we can survive. We can be our own family. But, of course, that's a pretty big challenge in the sense that, like, even though it's 1904 and they can, like, farm and do a lot of sustainability stuff, like, they, they still need money to survive. Like, they they can't completely live on their own. And it's very difficult when they are now basically the village's pariahs because the three of them are living up in this cabin by themselves. So Asta starts training as a blacksmith and Erland is looking after Gunnar and hoping that he can recover. And they decide that the best way for them to get the money they need to keep living the way they want to live is they have to win the village's annual horse race. So it's got a lot of high stakes. Um, It also has some really great disability representation. Um, You know, not only is Gunnar physically disabled, but Asta doesn't have hearing in one ear. So I just really appreciated um, in what I read so far, the way that the author incorporates, you know, these very real things that people experience and talks about how they affected life in historical times when there was a lot more of a stigma against disability. And I just, yeah, this is a really interesting premise and setup. And I'm very sorry that I only was able to read a chapter of it before we recorded, but I will definitely keep reading this book. And I highly recommend it if you like historical fiction, if you this idea of like three people living in an unconventional way during a historical period is interesting to you. You know, I, I've talked with Carly a little bit before, and I know that she is very obsessed with research and very obsessed with, like, getting a lot of these really great sort of world-building details correct. So it's going to be, like, a very, I think, atmospheric historical read. So that's The Reckless Kind by Carly Heath. Well, I definitely have not read many books, why or otherwise, in, set in Norway in 1904. So <laughs> I can add that right? to my... Um, said, and I love historical fiction, and yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's got a beautiful cover as well. Oh, yes, it does. I looked it up, it really does. <laughs> I love that we have the same appreciation for covers, same taste. <laughs> Me too. All right, we're gonna keep talking about books because we still have some more recommendations, but first, um, let's hear from our next sponsor. So, this episode is sponsored by Sips Buy. Is there anything better than curling up with a new book and a hot cup of tea? 
Sips by makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The Sips by box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, Sips by matches you with delicious teas from over 150 global tea brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. Gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby. That's S-I-P-S-B-Y.com. So if you subscribe, you'll receive four new teas each month chosen just for you. And each Sips by box includes loose tea, bag tea, or a mixture of both based on your preferences. And it makes about 16 cups or more of tea. Sips by accounts for your caffeine tolerance, flavor, preference, and even your dietary needs. I have to say, I have actually been a subscriber of Sips by before they were the sponsors of Book Riot Podcasts, and I really enjoy getting their boxes. I actually just got one a couple days ago, and it has a really delicious um, winter-themed tea that I am sipping on now as we are recording this episode. So I'm a big tea fan, and some of my favorite tea brands I've actually discovered from subscribing to Sips By in the past. So Follow SipSpy, that's again, S-I-P-S-B-Y on Instagram. They have weekly giveaways and more. But for podcast listeners only, use the code HEY, that's just H-E-Y, for 50% off your first SipSpy box at www.sipspy.com. And then, Erica, take us away with some more recommendations. Why, sure. (laughs) The next one I have is The Sky Blues by Robbie Couch. And it is about Sky, who came out as gay over the winter break, and his conservative Christian mother kicked him out. So he moved in with his friend Bree. Despite this, Sky is still hopeful that he will have a fabulous senior year, and he plans to have this brilliant promposal and invite his crush Ali to prom. Everything hits the fan, though, when someone hacks into emails and exposes Sky's plan before he's ready to do it, and sends this really like Islamophobic and homophobic message out that goes viral. Once this e-blast goes viral, Sky kind of just wants to give up on it. He wants to like drop out and leave the small Michigan town and kind of just call it quits. His friends and classmates are really supportive and want to help him fight back by tracking down the hacker and exposing them. There is this countdown of 30 days, which is basically when prom will happen. So all of this is kind of happening during the 30 days, the book in general. So through this time, when Sky and his friends are helping him figure out who attacked him, he is also learning about race and things concerning people's experiences, who he's different from. His crush Ali is Muslim. He has a black friend. There's a trans person. He is white, but as I said before, his friends are diverse. So only thing I would have preferred to be different, I think, is that I think there could have been a deeper look into some of these other marginalized characters' lives. And I also feel like Bree, um, Bree's brother, is 12 years old and autistic. And I think that his depiction could have been like, I don't know, a little more nuanced, I think. Yeah, basically that I think it could have just been explored a little more maybe. But I like that it shows that, again, how you lose one family and gain another one that's even better. So as I mentioned before, it does have some nasty things in it, like homophobia, racism, Islamophobia, and all of those other terrible things. But it is still quite optimistic. And that is The Sky Blues by Robbie Couch. Awesome. I have another... Um, contemporary and sort of book that um, only has like a light sort of paranormal speculative element. And that is Watch Over Me by Nina LaCour. Nina LaCour is, of course, the Prince Award winning author for her previous book, We Are Okay, um, which also now that I think about it has some really good found family aspects to it. But I'm going to talk about Watch Over Me, which is about Myla, who is an 18 year old who for the past few years has lived in the foster care system. And now that she's turned 18, she's aging out. And her foster parents, um, you know, they it's not that they have a contentious relationship, but they just discovered that they're pregnant with their first child. So Mila knows that she's not really welcome to stay. And so she finds this job in this position with an older couple named Terry and Julia who own this big farm um, in Northern California. 
and they basically offer jobs to kids who've aged out of the foster care system who are like 18 to the early 20s and they also um, have a lot of foster care kids themselves that they um, take in and so Mila agrees to go live on their farm and she has like her own little cabin on their property along with like fellow they call them interns um, Billy and Liz who are also you know young young adults who've aged out of the system as well and she gets to live there. She gets, you know, her own income because she works as like a homeschool tutor and teacher to all of the students and all of the kids that Terry and Julie have taken in. This place is also haunted. There are ghosts that exist in the fields and everybody can see them and it's just kind of like a normal thing. But Myla doesn't quite understand why they're there. She's also haunted by her own past and something that happened that led to her um, living in foster care. So this is just a really beautiful book about like how much she yearns to belong somewhere and how when she first goes there she sees this like wonderfully inclusive and open family and they talk about like creating space for people but she doesn't feel like she belongs there until she's able to kind of face her past ghosts and so it's just a really beautiful lovely book you know i'd expect nothing less from nina lacour so that is watch over me that sounds really good yeah i loved it so my next book is The Witch King by H.E. Edgman. And so in the world of Asselin, witches are seen as lesser beings. They are oppressed and considered beneath the fae who rule the world, essentially. The thing is, Wyatt Croft is a witch. He was betrothed to his best friend, the fae prince, Emir North, and his betrothal was supposed to change to the discriminatory ways. Little tongue twister here for me. The discriminatory ways of Asselin. But one night, Wyatt had an issue with his magic, and he felt forced to flee to the human world. Now, his former best friend, Emir, has set out to hunt him down. Wyatt is a trans man and has found a new identity and shelter in Texas as he tries to escape his troubled past in Aslan. Emir, however, has no plans to stop their marriage. He says that their marriage has to go on, or he will no bit longer be the prince, actually. So they've basically become enemies when they were friends before... And Wyatt even strikes deals with other people who he usually wouldn't for the sake of his freedom. As time goes on, Wyatt realizes that the emir he used to know may still be there. The way their relationship shifts throughout the novel is interesting and I think realistic in some ways, apart from, you know, being there's a fake king and witches and stuff like that. It's realistic in ways because, you know, friendships and relationships, they wax and wane throughout life. Wyatt's friendships and the way he reconnects with his sister are examined in really thoughtful ways, as is this whole notion of gender and the idea that systems that were assigned by random people who put themselves in charge should be followed blindly. Um, there are also some really cool uses of magic. Like there's a fae king who uses a wheelchair and can turn steps into ramps for himself with his magic. Then there's a use of magic through technologies as spells can be sent through like smartphones and stuff like that, which is a really nice touch. But this is yet another instance of being a part of being othered and being kind of pushed out by general society and finding another family as a result. Again, that is The Witch King by H.E. Edgman. And I know, well, just uh, another tidbit, but H.E. Edgman, I believe, is indigenous as well, if you're looking for a queer indigenous author. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right, I'm going to shout out really quickly my final pick since we're running out of time. And it is Bruised by Tanya Boteju. And it's a really great book about this teenage girl named Daya who is orphaned when her parents die in an accident. And so she lives with her aunt and uncle and she learns to sort of address her grief and also find community and love and acceptance through getting involved with her local roller derby league. So I just like that like roller derby aspect. Mm, yes. There's a great love interest. There's queer. There's a lot of really good queer character representation and a queer romance at the heart of it. But this is like a really good book that shows that like, you know, you can have your blood family because Daya lives with her aunt and uncle and she, you know, part of her journey is establishing a relationship with them. But then like you also have, you know, this wonderful 
community of found family as well. So that's Bruise by Tanya Boteju. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. Yes, and I will speed through my last recommendation as well. Um, it is fairy tale manga by Hiro, Hiro Mashima, which um, basically takes place in this magical world. If you can't tell, I like science fiction and fantasy a lot. <laughs> um, but it takes place in this uh, magical world where basically wizards come to, they come together and form guilds where they, um, the guild can kind of, if it's a good guild, they'll become family. Basically, they go on jobs together, they live together, they drink together, they party together, all that good stuff. People hire them, like non-magic users hire them for jobs and stuff like that. So the main character is this celestial wizard named Lucy, who sets out to kind of find her own path. She breaks away from her father and uh, she comes, she ends up getting like taken hostage by pirates. And this odd boy named Natsu helps her with who has this best friend who is a blue cat named Happy (laughs) who talks. There are a lot of, there are, this cast of like great characters and it's a lot of fun it's funny i think the art style is kind of similar to one piece if you're familiar and uh i I really like that there are a lot of really strong uh female characters and some you know some of my favorite characters are um these really powerful female characters only thing i would say is it's a little heavy on the fan service but i think it's interesting how like the female characters that are presented as sexy, I guess. They are not just sexy, they're also powerful. So I feel like I don't see that too much in certain manga and anime and stuff like that. Another good thing is if you, once you finish the manga, you can watch the anime, which is always fun to see it come to life. So again, it's really important, like throughout the show and the manga, the idea of friends being your family and helping people and being supportive of your family, even if you fight with them, your found family, I mean, even if, you know, sometimes you might have minor disagreements, not big, you know, life-changing disagreements, but just that, that idea of found family being super important is throughout the manga and the anime. So again, that is Fairy Tale by Hiro Mashima. Awesome. And woof, we made it through 10 recommendations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a challenge. <laughs> yes, it was good. We did good. <laughs> um, we did great. And we hope that you enjoy these books and that you check them out. And yeah, if you hear, if you pick them up, you know, we'd love to hear about it, of course. We will be back in two weeks when we're going to talk about our favorite books of 2021, mm. which will also be a challenge to narrow down mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> enough to be able to get through that. But thank you so much for tuning in this week. You can always leave us feedback um, on Apple Podcasts. that lets us know how we're doing, helps others find us as well. And you can also always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thank you again to today's sponsors for helping make this show possible. And thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And Erica, where can, where can we find you? You can find me at Twitter occasionally at <laughs> Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. That's E-R-I-C-A underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Yeah, well, we will be back again in two weeks. But until then, happy reading. Happy reading.